0: Grace and mercy and peace be with you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Today is the fourth Sunday in our summer sermon series that we're calling Summer in the Psalms. And I've encouraged you over the last couple of weeks, but if you're just here for the first time uh, during this month of July, we'll finish up this uh, series on the last Sunday of July, I'm encouraging you to get into the book of Psalms every single day. If you had started in the beginning and read like five Psalms a day, you could have read through the whole thing, but just uh, that's my encouragement. Open up the Psalms each day and and just read some of those words, whether you um, understand what you're reading or not, uh, it's good to get into that book of Psalms. Today we are looking at Psalm 110, Psalm 110, and Psalm 110 is considered to be a a prophecy about the Messiah. Now this psalm was written by King David, and King David reigned in the nation of Israel 1,000 years before Jesus. So 1,000 years before Jesus, King David was prophesying about the coming Messiah, And so this psalm talks about what this, as we would say, the messianic king will look like and what will he do. So what do we learn here in Psalm 110? Basically, in the Old Testament, it was promised that a king would eventually come, and that king would be in the lineage of David, and that king would come, and he would be like this final king in the nation of Israel. And he would defeat all of the enemies of Israel, and he would rule, and he would reign, and there would be peace in the kingdom, and the kingdom would grow and expand. Now, Psalm 110, 110, these words are quoted directly in the New Testament in, in multiple places. We read in the gospel lesson today one of those places. Jesus himself specifically quotes Psalm 110 Uh, And and Matthew and Mark and Luke all attest to this. And then also in the book of Acts, Peter quotes it. And then in other places, it's referred to and referenced as well. It's pretty evident that Jesus and the earliest Christians saw that these words from 1,000 years before were being fulfilled in the life and ministry of Jesus. And we know that most clearly because Jesus claims that they're being fulfilled fulfilled in him. He says these words are about me. Now let's just take a look at how this psalm begins. You can either look at it in your insert, or I'll put it up on the screen, a couple of uh, passages. But here's verse one. These are the very first words. It says, the Lord said to my Lord, I've taught some of you this before, but some of you um, may not have ever heard this before. But in your Bible, especially in, in the Old, actually particularly in the Old Testament, you see how that first Lord is in all capital letters? If you ever see the word Lord written in all capital letters, in the Hebrew language, it is the word Yahweh. It's the word Yahweh. And Yahweh, maybe you've never heard that word before, but that is, um, at least in our English language, how we would pronounce the proper name of God. And that goes all the way back to Exodus 3, where God said to Moses, I am who I am. And that word, I am who I am, is condensed into this word, Yahweh. Now, just a little bit of history here. In the Old Testament time, um, those who would read the Bible out loud to people, they would not speak that name of Yahweh. And so it became tradition to replace it with the Hebrew word. Adonai which actually means Lord and so they would just skip over it okay and so in our English translations they've kept that tradition and therefore in the Hebrew wherever Lord is in all capitals it's the proper name of God Yahweh and then you see at the end of in the middle of verse one that other Lord the Lord says to my Lord that next Lord is the word Adonai which means Lord, or somebody who's in charge or in control of you. Now, I have to tell you this, otherwise I, I think it's really hard to make sense of it in English when you go, the Lord said to my Lord, and we go, who's the Lord? I don't, whatever, you know, we just keep reading. So maybe a better way to translate this, just to add some distinguishing marks here, you could say Yahweh, that is the creator God, and this is David speaking, Yahweh says to my Lord. Now this is King David speaking, and as a king, there is no lord over the king. And so who is David talking about when he says, Yahweh says to my lord, there is no lord over a king. The king is the lord. So who is he talking about? That's why it's a prophecy, okay? So he is prophesying a thousand years in advance that there is a lord who is lord over heaven and earth and time and space. So, David is saying, Yahweh says to my Lord. Now, again, Jesus comes back, and we read it in the gospel lesson, where he's quoting this passage, and he says, this is about me. All right, now that's kind of a lot of deep theology. hope some of you are tracking along, maybe some of you weren't. Here's the basic gist of what I just said, all right? In all of this, let me just say it clearly. Jesus is saying to those who know the Psalms, He's saying Psalm 110, that psalm of King David, when he's talking about a coming king who's going to rule and reign and be powerful, that's about me, okay? That's about me. These words are about me. So what is it that Psalm 110 says that Jesus is going to do? What does it say here that the king will do? Maybe you've heard it said before that the Jews thought that the coming Messiah would be this military ruler and that he would come powerfully and strike down the enemies of the people of God. And so then when Jesus came humbly on the back of a donkey and died on a cross, the Jews say, that doesn't seem like the kind of king that we were expecting. Maybe you've heard that before, that they were expecting someone strong and powerful, and that comes from psalms like this and other Old Testament prophecies that basically claim that the Messiah would be a military ruler and that he would come with a physical sword to strike down the enemies of the nation of Israel. It's very clear from this psalm and from other prophecies in the Old Testament that the Messiah is powerful and that the reason the Messiah came was to be powerful over the enemies of God's people. When you picture Jesus in your head, all right, if I were to say, you know, draw me a picture, what do you, what do you think about, how does Jesus look to you? I wonder what you, what you would say. Would you picture him like this? Nice and soft and cuddly, you know, maybe a little bit of blush on the cheeks to, to rosy him up, you know, a nice uh, 17th century European painting. How, how do you picture Jesus? Nice and warm and soft? Or do, you, or do you picture him like a superhero action figure like this, you know, big and strong and, and mighty that's that, uh, got the big arms and big legs, big muscular guy who's going to come and take care of business? Or do you picture somewhere in the middle, you know, some, something in between? How do you picture Jesus? I, I think that, you know, as, as, as I'm telling you, the Jews, before Jesus ever came, they expected a powerful military kingly ruler who would literally come and strike down their earthly enemies. That's what they expected. I think in 21st century America, particularly, people have a different image of Jesus. They want a tame Jesus, a timid Jesus, a kind Jesus, a Jesus who just loves and loves and and loves and is compassionate, right? You can correct me if I'm wrong, but this is what I at least hear from people. However, it is clear here and in the scriptures that Jesus is powerful, that he's swift, that he's just, and that he comes to fight against our enemies. And another little side tangent here. I think oftentimes when people hear that they have enemies, people for some reason also say, want to believe that they don't have any enemies. That they don't have, to say that you have enemies almost sounds too mean or, or too judgmental. <laughs> but I will tell you very clearly today that Satan is your enemy. Sin is your enemy. Death is your enemy. And it is these enemies which Jesus, the Messiah, the Christ, came to defeat and to claim victory over. And he did it by fighting on your behalf. And he fought on your behalf by going to the cross where he died and then rose victoriously. Jesus came to fight for you, and he rose to prove his power and his authority over sin, death, and the power of the devil. Now, I told you that verse 1, the Lord said to my Lord, that whole thing, that that's quoted directly by Jesus. But even verse 1 of Psalm 110 is referenced in the, Old, er, in the New Testament, multiple times to show the power and authority of Jesus over sin, Satan, and death. I want to show you a couple of these examples. You can write them down and look them up for yourself later. But the book of Hebrews says this in verses, in chapter 10. When Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. If you go back and read Psalm 110, it says that he will have all things under his feet. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, the Apostle Paul says, he must reign until he has put all enemies under his feet. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 22 says, he put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church. 1 Peter 3, says, Jesus, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God, with angels, authorities, and powers having been subjected to him. All right. I show you those examples to show you that early on in the Christian church, Jesus and the disciples, the, the writers of the scriptures, and early Christians in general were all in agreement that Psalm 110, this messianic prophecy, was being fulfilled in Jesus and it is uh, to show us this lordship of Jesus. That Jesus is in control and that he is Lord. And this was the very earliest, and put, that, put the one up before that. This is the very earliest Christian creed. These three simple words. Before the Apostles' Creed was ever written, before the Nicene Creed was ever written, this was the creed of the church. Jesus is Lord. Okay? Jesus is Lord. So Christians for a long time simply spoke these words. This was the Christian confession of faith. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. And those words worked their way into both the Apostles and the Nicene Creed. If you think about it, how do, do, what do we confess? I believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord. All All right, let me say it like this. We need a Lord. We need a Lord. We need to know that there is someone who is in authority, who is in control, who is fighting on our behalf and fighting fighting for us. We need to know that Jesus is strong and that he is powerful. He is not soft. He is not tame. Jesus Christ is powerful. He does not wait around to act. He doesn't wait for the enemy to fail and then step in and say, I won. No, Jesus fights. He fights with you and he fights for you. As I look around our community in the last month at the roads and the houses that have been impacted by the floods, I think that a lot of us oftentimes feel like the roads and the houses around here after the Father's Day flood. Beaten, broken, damaged, inundated by outside forces, weakened, and worried about whether or not we can weather the next storm or whether it will all come crumbling and falling apart. And frankly, after the rains last Wednesday night, Many people actually woke up on Thursday morning to that nightmare. More sand, more mud, more rocks, more water. And you wonder, can we take it anymore? Our lives, I think, often feel like that. I know that some of you sitting in this room are are battling cancer. And your loved ones, as I look around this room, are battling cancer or other illnesses. For those of you battling cancer, some of you are in the early stages of that fight and some of you are in the later stages and and some of your loved ones even are, are stopping treatment at this point. That battle against cancer, for those of you who are in that place, you need to know that you have a Jesus who is strong and powerful and victorious over illness and death. There are those of you who are sitting in this room whose marriages are strained right now. Whose marriages are strained. You need to know that you have a Savior, an almighty God, who has come to reconcile you. That means bring you back together and to drive out the wedge that Satan is trying to place in your relationship. No matter who you are, you need to be reminded that your Savior is not weak, He's not tame, He's not timid, He is strong and He's powerful and He fights for you. He fights for you. This psalm gives us that prophecy that God sent His Son, Jesus, to be king for us and He fights on our behalf. And yet it goes a little bit further. And it also calls upon us to join in that battle. Verse 3 of Psalm 110 said these words, Your people will offer themselves freely on the day of your power. All right. So David's writing and he's, he's saying about Yahweh and about this coming king that the people will volunteer themselves freely on the day of power. What does this mean? It means that the people of God will volunteer to join in this cosmic battle. They will not be forced into service. They will not be tricked into joining. They will not be coerced out of fear. They will come willingly because they know that the king is victorious. And when you join the king, you also get to claim in his victory. It's like that same spirit that we've seen with the overwhelming volunteer support in our community over the last month. You watch the people come forward, and I know I've served with some of you, where you've stepped forward and you said, what can I do? How can I help? Where can I go? What can I do? I want to help some people. You volunteer your service. We are copper country strong, people are saying. Well, I'll tell you what. Jesus is even stronger than a bunch of Finlanders with Sisu, all right? Jesus is even stronger than that, and this ought to be the attitude of the people of God in every day of our lives. We're constantly barraged by the evil one. And yet we are called to join in this fight and to rise up alongside of the king. And it is good to join forces with the king because he's already victorious. So when you join forces with him, you too have already won. So my friends, I'll tell you, don't temper Jesus. Don't try to train Jesus. Don't tame Jesus Don't weaken him. Allow him to be full in power and in glory in your life and in this world, and it's incredibly good for you because he's fighting for you. He's already victorious for you in sin, death, and the power of the devil, so rise up and join in that battle. You don't fight on your own. You fight along with him. And one day Christ will come and this prophecy will be finally and ultimately fulfilled when all things will be put under his feet once and for all and victory and eternal perfection in life will be yours forever and ever. Until that day, rise up and fight with your King. In Jesus' name, amen.